What the fuck is up, world? We're back. Another grito. Been about two weeks now since my last grito. I'm my boy Nietzsche. And although I said that I was going to follow up on my next podcast with my boy Nietzsche and continue going along the way to continue, you know, deconstructing and trying to hopefully unravel some of the misconceptions behind his philosophy. You know your boy wasn't going to do that. I mean, come on, man. You already knew from the get-go that as much as I couldn't fucking sit here and say to myself that I'm going to maintain some sort of linearity, maintain some sort of fucking consistent pattern, that's just not my stilo, bro. My mind fucking... I've qualified it a million times before. You're probably tired of fucking hearing it, but here it goes again. It just doesn't work that way, all right? My mind is constantly bouncing all over the place. And um, it's... I think... I'm not going to try to qualify it or justify it in any other way other than saying that this idea of linearity, I personally believe, and I'm not the only one, that, you know, time and space is construed through a European lens, which a Christian lens, no less, which if you were watching our last podcast, if you were listening to the last podcast, you would know that a little bit about it had to do with like teleologies and shit, this idea that we're progressing towards this end goal. And I, I don't necessarily rock with that idea, partly because, you know, it's a, a, a an, I don't want to say it's an indigenous process. I have an indigenized process, me personally, right? Now, whether or not this is a, a process inherent with any specific indigenous peoples, I don't know. I'm detribalized. I don't have the luxury of knowing, for, uh, for instance, the how my indigenous Chica, uh, Mexica peoples saw or considered of space and time, right? But I know that me personally, I'm fucking just, I'm basically, I kind of just float. I'm kind of just existing right now i don't have you know a start point or an end point i don't have a definite point of anything other than the two forgiven absolute facts of my life and your life as well and the fact being that we are going to you know we were born and that one day we are going to die aside from that like everything else is just kind of whoop, it's up in the air right there is no i mean the year 2019 get the fuck out of here dog it is not 2019 i know i've said it before but it bears repeating again if the, there's only one of two possibilities bro either the universe is infinitely many years old or it is 13.5 billion years old either way the concept of 2019 does not register anywhere in those fucking spectrums right uh so the idea here being that if i'm going to completely indigenize myself that implies letting go of the fucking very thing that anchors the year 2019 which of course is christianity which of course if for those of you who are listening to the podcast and followed along on the social media og underscore ice nice 13 on instagram right you will know that me and christianity we're just we don't get along right we don't we don't have a fucking anything of a relationship right so with that being the case why should christianity then for instance be able to determine what my conception of space and time is i don't fucking give a fuck when jesus was born or when jesus died right i don't care about any of that nonsense in fact i like to say shit like praise satan or hail Satan, not because I believe in Satan and not because I want to praise anything or anyone, but just because I think it's fucking funny to get under Christian people's skin, right? And that's the one thing like, oh my God, he said the taboo words. It's just words, people calm the fuck down. All right. Um, so yeah, the year I'm kind of just, you know, floating out there. I don't give a fuck what year it is. Uh, I'm existing at, uh, in my, in the only scope of time that I have, you know, a barring, you know, uh, what is it? Reincarnation here. I may come back in this bitch, right? Uh, or I may have already been here. Sometimes I get the idea that I've already been here before, man. Maybe you, like I, I get these fucking thoughts and these mem- these ideas, and I'm just like, yo, I've, I've, I've had this memory before. I've experienced this before. They're not even deja vu anymore. I'm talking about just an understanding that perhaps we're just 
oh man, God forbid, in this Nietzschean sense, repeating the same shit over and over and over again in this eternally recurring cycle, right? Now, of course, oh, this is where like the physicist scientific camp's going to come in and be like, oh, that doesn't really coincide with what we know about nature and reality. Bitch, we don't know shit about nature and reality to begin with when, you know, in the grand scheme of things. What I mean by that is like, yeah, science is awesome. I'd be the last person to be something of a fucking science denier, right? In fact, I am a science enthusiast, no question about it. But what I'm trying to say is that our understanding of science and thus by proxy the world that we've, you know, managed to harness with our scientific method and shit is limited strictly to our human senses. So for instance, one of my favorite, and this is the only reason why, I mean, it's a pretty cool little animal, but this is pretty much the only reason why. Uh, I know I've mentioned it before, but the mantis shrimp, right? With the $10,000, the 10,000 color spectrum eyes, like, bro, who knows what the fuck that thing is seeing? My dog out there, I don't know, you're not going to hear him barking, right? I'll have to let him out really quickly so I can do this podcast so he wouldn't be all over the shit. Um, But, you know, sometimes we'll be chilling here and both of my dogs, they'll just fucking like suddenly like, you know, ears perking up and looking around. I'm like, what the fuck? What's going on here? Right? And something I can't hear, something I can't see. And yet they're in tune with it. You know what I'm saying? So in true Nietzschean sense, what I meant by that earlier, the reality that we know, I'm simply saying like, we think truth is truth, but that's really only truth according to human beings. Anyways, that's just a long winded way of saying, yo, what the fuck? What's good? Right. Um, back at it with this podcast game. Like I said, like I started off with this fucking tangential route. I know I said I was going to go along this fucking try to continue along with this Nietzschean trajectory. And it's not that I don't want to, but honestly, after the feedback that I got from the last one, I feel surprise, surprise, more of a responsibility to, you know, do even greater in-depth research into this Nietzschean character. I'm going to reread this book again, specifically his biography, right? As well as a few others. And, you know, br- really bring the heat, bro, because it, 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 it merits, it merits it, right? This philosophy merits it. So what I decided to do instead is not necessarily introduce another philosopher, so much as kind of just recap where I have been specifically in the last two weeks of my life, uh, particularly in regards to my philosophy and what I've been teaching, I guess I should say more importantly. Uh, this is something that I, uh, I I mentioned before in previous episodes of the podcast that I wanted to start doing. So I figured now more than ever it would be the best time to do so. So with that in mind, just a quick reiteration of some of the stuff that I've been talking about in my lectures in my own particular classes, we've entered into the world of existentialism now. It's the end of the semester. And at the end of the semesters, it's always the time for me to want to introduce existential philosophy. Now, I should qualify that because given, you know, the fact that I myself just by nature have necessarily existential predilections, it's a given that much of what I discuss in my class is going to be very existentially inclined. You know what I'm saying? Like I could be talking about fucking logic and even then the logic's always going to have something of an existential bent, if you will. Right. For those of you who were in my ethics class, one of my ethics classes, at least, uh, you'll know this specifically in terms of literacy, right? It's my literacy, bro. The existential, I was just born into this. I didn't choose the sad boy life, right? The sad boy life chose me kind of deal is what I'm trying to say. So everything that I fucking experience is always filtered through that existential lens. Okay. So uh, from day one in my first class at e- uh, El Paso Community College, as well as Doña Ana Community College, right until the last day that I ever teach a philosophy class or any other class for that matter, it's always going to be delivered in an existential manner, right? However, 
what I have realistically gotten into in greater detail is the some of the specifics of existential philosophy. Now, I say some of the specifics, and this is a good parlay into not just this podcast, but also a little bit insight into my classes, because uh, honestly, I construct my lectures and thus, in turn, these podcasts via uh, an amalgamation, just so many different books, right? So one book will say some shit about existentialism, and then above, another book will say some other shit about existentialism. And they're both, you know, they both hover around the central points, right? In many ways, they own, they each touch down in their own respect into the existential tradition, for instance, right? And it's not just existentialism, postmodernism, now watch philosophy, you know, for all, all intents and purposes, right? Um, they they touch down in their own specific way. That's just part of the phenomenological process of the way it's written. The person who's writing it, obviously, like me, I just qualified it. You know, I'm giving you the podcast. They're going to in 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 imbue their product with some of their own predilections, right? So uh, when it comes to this existentialism specifically, I and you know the podcast as well, I construct them in such a way where they're influenced by various books, right? So I might be talking about Nietzsche, you know, and I'll, I not not might be, I will be talking about Nietzsche in the future from you know a different philosophical perspective. His philosophy will remain the same. But it will be introduced by a different author who has something unique to offer into it, right? So this idea here is that even though I've introduced existentialism before in my classes, even though I've introduced it uh, specifically in this podcast a little bit before, it's it's it always varies, right? So uh, with that in mind, the specific part that we've been talking about in my classes recently is we've been focusing a lot on authenticity, right? And the beautiful part for me about this focusing on authenticity this semester is that for the first time, I actually, I, for those of you, this is going to qualify again, this is going to assume some prior knowledge to the podcast, right? But I've mentioned it before, this problem that I've been having with the term selfish, right? You know, we get into the root of the term selfish and we realize that the root of the word selfish realistically is nothing more than self, right? So when someone accuses you of being selfish, uh, what they're doing is just accusing you of being concerned with yourself, which to me always struck me as odd because of course you should be concerned with yourself because it's yourself that is ultimately of utmost importance in the sense, in the sense, let me qualify it because this is where I ran into the troubles in the past because I didn't have the language to properly articulate it that, you know, uh, it's not an egoistic approach. It's, it's not meant to be like, put myself above everybody else at any expense because fuck everybody. I'm only concerned with myself, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I mean here more specifically is I'll give you the example of being in a relationship. And I guess because it was brought to my attention in one of my classes, and since I am reiterating a little bit from my classes, I will mention that it was you know introduced to me by a student via the quote by Will Smith when he was talking about how selfish it is to look for a partner uh, in order for them to complete you, right? Because the partner themselves should not be there to complete you is something along the lines of what the quote says, and that you in turn should not be there to complete somebody else. That realistically, we should all already be entering into these relationships, hopefully in the most idealistic way, right? In the most idealistic sense, as fully authentic individuals, fully uh, actualized individuals. And that at best, what we are doing is complementing one another, right? We are complementing one another with our, you know, actual, actualized, self-actualized authenticity. You know what I'm saying? So for the longest time, that was a little bit of the language that I lacked, you know, the deficit, if you will, on my behalf. 
But as I was reading through a new philosophy book on existentialism, specifically on one particular, you know, I, I was going to mention the philosopher, but who the fuck cares? Because I refuse to give credit to any one particular philosopher at this point, aside from the very few exceptions, and especially this guy, because, well, I guess just mentioning this is going to fucking out it as well as who he is, but he was a Nazi, right? And not a pretend Nazi like Nazi, Nazi, that's not a word, Nazi like Nietzsche. He was an actual fucking Nazi, right? I know I mentioned it before in the podcast, but again, hey, it bears repeating. Um, anyways, uh, this ideas of authenticity, specifically the philosophy of self-care, like what this idea is going to ask of us is that we as humans, we have as the necessarily highest, um, responsibility to ourselves is to actualize us as human beings, you know, in the, in that we are capable of actualizing ourselves a way that, you know, animals, base level animals could never even possibly conceive of. And that, that quest, that goal is itself one of the highest, you know, it's one of the highest goals worth striving for as a human being, you know, and, and thus the importance of a- engaging in philosophical discourse, because it is argued at least that via philosophy, it is the vehicle that is going to lead us towards this ultimate self-actualization, right? So when we come back to this, you know, idea of uh, selfishness, it's not necessarily, again, in the terms of ethical egoism, so much as it is an ultimate concern with one's overall development and self-actualization as a human being, Right. And that's kind of what I've been fucking with a lot this semester, actually. I've introduced a lot of different ethical and uh, introduction, just overall philosophy, I should say, theories that for the uh, I had never really realistically introduced before in any of my classes, right? And it was because, again, I was, you know, I finally started getting the language necessary to articulate the idea that specifically I was trying to create, right? Uh, for those of you who follow along on the social media, you'll see, for instance, that I uh, posted a video recently of me saging out my classroom by playing hip-hop music, that fire shit, son, because, you know, unfortunately, as the Instagram post said, I am unable to burn the sacred sage inside the classroom, so I'll just fucking play that fire-ass hip-hop instead, you know what I'm saying? But for the video itself, I put a, a quote by one of my favorite pedagogues. His name is Dr. Christopher Emden. Uh, the, I mentioned him before, but it, I'll mention him until fucking, again, the day that I stopped teaching for white people who teach in the hood and the rest of y'all too, right? Uh, it's just one of my favorite teachers of teachers, right? Teacher of teachers. And uh, uh, in that video, I posted up a quote by him that said, teaching without healing is just talking. And that, that, that I fucking vibe with that shit heavy, man, because at this point in my life, I'm telling you, like, I basically exist in two worlds now. I exist in the one that I was just thrown into, the European Christianized world. But I'm also more and more as the days go by beginning to exist in the more indigenous world as I qualified it with in regards to the ideas of time, right? Like it's just a different world, bro. And the more that I exist in the indigenous world, the more acclimated I become with the indigenous philosophy of my ancestral Mexica, you know, uh, 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 counterparts, the more that I just, you know, begin to inherit, if you will, what their idea of philosophy was. And, you know, it's just night and day different, bro. European philosophy and Mexica philosophy, Nahuatl philosophy, they have a complete different start and end point. You know what I'm saying? Like the European people started in ancient Greece, their quest with philosophy in order to try to, you know, make sense of the world uh, from a scientific, rational perspective. And thus all of philosophy in the European Christian uh, sense, uh, you, you know, Christianity comes later, but definitely the early ancient Greek sense, it's predicated heavily on rationalism and, uh, you know, the desire to utilize that rationalism as a way to fucking familiarize themselves with the world that we're living in, right? 
That's that's not the starting point of Mexica of, of Mexica Nahuatl philosophy, bro. The starting point of Mexica Nahuatl philosophy is we as individual people coming to this fucking earth with no understanding why or for what or you know most importantly what the whole fucking point is of it right uh and now watch philosophy they speak a lot about movement and oyin specifically and the idea here essentially is that you know if ever we live in a universe of constant flux and changing and if that's the case then that means there is no certainty and if there is no certainty then ultimately there is no truth and if there is no truth then what's the fucking point of it all right there's a beautiful poem because a lot of Nahuatl philosophy via Flor Canto, right, was introduced to us in Sochi, in Yolotel, right, was introduced to us via poetry, via, you know, the fucking marvel of linguistic engineering that is the Nahuatl language to quote, uh, damn, I forgot the dude's fucking name. He's somewhere around here. Actually, he might be back there in that stack of books, right? But he's a dude that wrote the end of the, the, pretty much the Bible of, uh, of, rec of reclaimed Nahuatl philosophy, right? Anyways, uh, we start with this point here in this Nahuatl philosophy of just trying to give ourselves a heart in the face, man, so that we don't just give our lives away to any institution that comes along and offers us a, repri a reprise, if you will, a, res a respite, if you will, rather, from the uncertainty inherent with living in this universe that is in a constant state of flux, right? So inherently, inherently, this Nawat's philosophy is very fucking existential by nature. It's concerned with these fucking issues right from the get-go. You know what I'm saying? So in returning back to the ancient Greek philosophy, it comes along. It's, it's, it's an issue that comes up in their shit. You know what I'm saying? But that's not the overall end point of their philosophy. Unlike the Nawats, whose end point is to try to, you know, establish some sort of meaning and purpose for the individual life, the, the Greeks, they're just concerned with trying to make sense of the world and establish some sort of truth. And then their whole history of the philosophy is basically nothing more than them literally intellectually colonizing the world, right? Reality, if you will, more specifically. And then paving the way to get back to where it is that they get where they came from. And then now that the, the, the way has been paved, basically what's happened over the last 2000 years of philosophy is those roads have been maintained by their intellectual descendants that say this is the only way to get to truth because this is the truth that we discovered. But nah, man, that's bullshit. That's only one of that's one of many fucking truths that exist out there. Fuck you, Jordan Peterson, right? And you know what? To an extent, also the postmodernist, because I don't even want to give the impression that I'm a postmodernist, bro, because I'm not. What I am predates the uh, what we believe a postmodernist is. What I am predates the fucking what we believe here via the Eurocentric lens, what an existentialist is. I am not a fucking philosopher, bro. I am a Tlamatini of the Nahuatl tradition of philosophy, okay? And one of the things that they talk about in this Nahuatl tradition of philosophy is, you know, going back to the floating canto, they say, is this the only truth, right? It's a very, very, very beautiful work of like, ling again, linguistic engineering. I'm going to learn how to speak Nahuatl one day. In fact, I will pull up the quote here shortly uh, if you allow me a pause. So pause. All right. So I found it. It was Azotle Neyi in Tlactic Pak, right? Uh, I apologize for my terrible butchering of the Nahuatl language for those of you who are still fortunate enough to be connected to our ancestral language, right? But the basic the basic definition of the Nahuatl of that saying, and I found the book too, by the way, is Miguel Leon Portilla, right? That's the dude that I was talking about earlier. But uh, what it means, again, Azotle Neyi in Tlactic Pak, is that it's it's asking, is this the only truth, 
right? On Earth specifically, like Galactic Park uh, and Nahuatl philosophy is this dreamlike existence, right? Or so that we recall, that we call Earth, right? With this dreamlike existence being what we experience here, the reality that we experience here on Earth. So what they're asking is, is this the only truth that there is here on Earth? And specifically, it was a, a prayer, essentially, a poem that they would recite because, again, the whole Flor Encanto, in Ixli in Yolotel, <clears throat> being the idea that whenever there was a, a meeting of minds, like a meeting of the wise men, they would sit there and they would ask you, they would greet each other by saying this because the idea was, you know, you get a bunch of fucking people together and they began, you know, uh, giving you their insights into life and what they've discovered. And you soon start to realize that while you may all hover around a certain certain ideas, those interpretations are radically different. And it doesn't necessarily imply that one is any uh, any better or any less, per se, so much as, you know, it's just different variations of the one teotel nature, right? This is a complete different. This is, a, again, in complete stark, stark contrast to the European conception of reality and philosophy in general, which is predicated off hierarchy. Like the, the Nahuatl philosophy, it's not predicated on, on on hierarchy, man. In fact, one of the ways that they avoid the hierarchy is one of the ways that is very prominent in Greek, not prominent rather, but a practice that's very common in the Greek tradition of philosophy. And that is they don't do the cult of personality shit. And what I mean by the cult of personality shit is while they pay respect to the ancestors, there's not one particular ancestor in the Nahuatl tradition who's fucking revered like this Socratic dickhead figure, right? That's hierarchy type bullshit. Plato is not a better philosopher than me, okay? He was just born first. I will choke that fucking round-faced chump out in a heartbeat, right? I don't give a fuck if he was a wrestler. As a purple belt in jujitsu, what's up, right? <clears throat> As a fucking jujitsu specifically, living in 2019, no less, the whatever the fuck they thought that wrestling was, whatever the fuck Plato was wrestling, that shit is Bush League elementary shit, right? Because over the last 2,000 years of fucking human history, we have further developed, uh, you know, the art of grappling. If you don't believe me, just look at, you know, one of my favorite sports, MMA, right? And look at the, the trajectory of the US, the UFC specifically over the last 20 years. And you'll realize like, yo, as dope as a, you know, fucking, let's just, you know, Dan Henderson or yeah, you know, uh, not I'm thinking Dan Severin here specifically uh, as like original old school, old school Gracie is right? Or UFC rather. But as dope as Dan Severin was when he burst onto the scene, man, Dan Severin can't fucking hold up against the fighters that are up there today. We're talking to John Jones, the style benders, the fucking Kamaru Usmans, right? It's not the same fucking thing. The sport has far surpassed those people. And that was 20 years ago. Fucking 2000 years ago, I will choke that fucking plate. Plato just means round faced, right? Or some bullshit like that. Whatever the fuck it means, I'll choke his fucking little bitch ass out is what i'm trying to say not just because i'm probably a better grappler than him very easy for me to say given that he's not alive right <laughs> anyways um but more specifically because the knowledge that i have of grappling is clearly fucking better over the last two thousand years of development that we've had right um but also he's definitely not a better philosopher than me why because he was fucking born first get the fuck out of here that's nonsense right there's this dumbass there's this dumbass quote in philosophy that says that all of philosophy is that nothing more than a footnote to plato that is the dumbest shit that i've ever fucking heard in my life get the fuck out of here again you're not better than me bro you were just born first right so when we have this fucking meeting of the mind it doesn't it's not again it's not necessarily like yeah some ideas might take precedence some ideas might you know be proven if you will in any way to be more accurate, more insightful, more powerful. 
But every single person on this planet has their own unique perception of reality. And it's this perception of reality that I find is such a prominent feature in the Nawaz tradition and by proxy, this existential tradition of philosophy that I've been discussing in my classes over the last two weeks or so, right? Uh, so re in returning back to the philosophy of care, the ethics of care that I was talking about, that I had the language, not uh, lacked rather the language to be able to properly articulate the idea then is one of our responsibilities is to fucking develop that, you know, philosophy so that it can continue along with our overall process, uh, you know, practice of trying to become self-actualized individuals. This is a highly, highly ethical fucking um, demand from us as individual people. Like, don't get me twisted, bro. When it comes to my ethics classes, for instance, I talk a lot about very beginning at the very beginning of the semester. I talk the usual shit in regards to. If somebody murdered somebody, what would you do? Is capital punishment good or bad? Right? Like, th that, I mean, they're important for introduction to ethics students. No doubt about it. But after we discuss it for the first week or so, that's a very basic entry-level ethical dilemma. It's either, you know, it's pretty cut and dry. I mean, it's not cut and dry in the sense that sometimes murder is justified. Like, I saw a video today about some dude that fucking kidnapped a little girl and they found him and the girl, thankfully, safely for the most part, that guy should have been shot fucking dead by the police right then and there. Like, it's very it's very controversial to say because it was a black guy, right? And we all know the history of fucking police violence against black people in America. However, this fucking guy was a kidnapper and he basically, uh, he sexually assaulted the little girl, right? Fuck that guy. I don't give a fuck if he's black, white, Asian, Mexican. He should have been shot fucking dead in the street right there. Where they fucking found him in the hotel room, rather. You know what I'm saying? Um, man, this shit was so fucking infuriating that I completely fucking lost track of what the fuck. It, oh, yeah, ethics. I was like, fuck. I almost lost track of what I was trying to say. Ethics, man. Like, it's it, the, the, the murder debate, it's pretty cut and dry. There's, you know, most people, you're either for it, against it, or you're kind of like, ooh, I don't really know. In that particular instance, most people would have been like, yeah, we should kill that motherfucker. There are some students, however, they're like, no, you should never murder, even if it's, you know, because of something like that. There was one student specifically who was, she was so against murder, I remember. I don't know if she was just being facetious or not, but she said, well, you know, the question was, would you murder in self-defense? And she said, no, nope, I would just let them murder me. And, you know, I was just like, all right, man, come on, like for real. But whatever the case might be, the, the, the ethics, you know, when it comes to murder and immorality and shit, it's pretty cut and dry. By the time my semester is over, when it comes to ethics specifically, I challenge students to be able to uncover more ethical conundrums that are hidden from us, right? We try to reveal the ethical conundrums that are healed, uh, that are revealed, uh, that are hidden rather from us. You know what I'm saying? So in regards to uh, the, the example I gave you right now about the dude who kidnapped that young lady, a very unpopular one, but it's one that you know I'm speaking of here specifically is obviously he kidnapped that young lady because he needed to satisfy a sexual desire. And although it's not readily uh, evident when, you know, we're talking about it, the argument then shifts immediately to whether pedophiles should be able to have access to the mental health that will enable them to adequately cure or treat at least their desire to inflict damage on, you know, young children. But, you know, this is not necessarily, it's not very obvious. It's very hidden within everything that I just explained to you about the kidnapping because, you know, despite the fact that it's frowned upon on society, unfortunately, unfucking fortunately, it's not going to stop people from doing it as well as this example. So the question then becomes is if, for instance, a pedophile could have access to a fucking therapist without being, you know, uh, uh, in danger of that therapist re reporting them to the police, maybe that would have been avoided. 
You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of what I mean that once the, you know, in the beginning of the semester, it's very cut and dry, but as the semester progresses, it becomes a lot more complex. So when it comes to this particular instance, what I'm saying is we might not think that ethics and learning ethics and specifically overall just philosophy is of any actual importance or meaning to our lives, right? But if this philosophy is correct, this philosophy of self-care, nah, man, it's the most fucking important uh, uh, ethical decision that we're ever going to make. It's ethical in the sense because you are essentially determining the overall quality of your life. And it's almost as though you have the responsibility to live the best life for you possible. And it's not going to happen if you're not studying philosophy. It's very convenient for me to say, right, as a philosopher, that we all need to study philosophy in order for us to be able to live a better life. But hey, man, it is what it is. The more you study philosophy, to give a little bit of credit to the ancient Greeks, maybe you become a little bit more rational. But more importantly, the more you study philosophy, the more ideas you're introduced to from all the various ways in which reality has manifested itself through individual subjective experiences of reality. And you start to, you know, you, you get to start to weigh the pros and the cons. Like, I like this one. I don't like that one. This one has some good things to say, even though I don't, I don't agree with it. This one has nothing but great things to say. And I vibe with it completely. And they mesh and they, you know, they interact with your life and you continue to process them in your brain and you engage with the world in a more holy, authentic manner. You know what I'm saying? And from there, we get back to this whole philosophy of care where you start to realize when it comes to selfishness, again, it's not about egoism so much as it is an overall concern with your overall, my overall development as an individual human being. That's one idea that I've been fucking with a lot recently in these last two weeks of my class. And that is the just the realization that we have infinite potential, like legit, straight up infinite potential as human beings. And... Aside from unfortunate circumstances where, you know, maybe we're born with some sort of disability that keeps us from being able to fully actualize these possibilities. Realistically, human beings, we're essentially these blank. We, I don't want to say blank slates because it's a very philosophically loaded word. It's a very philosophically loaded way of saying it. But we're blank slates uh, historically in the in the tradition of philosophy has come from you know epistemology tabula rasa that we learn everything kind of like a black uh, a blackboard at, at at college campuses they're just empty in the beginning of the class but as me personally or other professors start writing on them it's like you know it becomes filled up the the blank slate that's essentially the view in epistemology that says that's kind of how our minds work we're born with a blank slate and then all of experience and reality certainly slowly starts to imprint itself onto our tabula rasa and that those experiences and realities make up the sum total of our knowledge right so that's that's what i that's what i don't want it to be confused with because that's not what i'm trying to get at what i'm trying to say at this blank slate is when we're born bro we're fucking there's no inherent meaning purpose or value right existence precedes essence we exist first and then our life is given some sort of essential meaning and purpose and for most of us the meaning and purpose that it sticks with is the default the default here being that which we addressed in the last podcast and that, you know, through the Nietzschean one, the Lynchian lens being what we inherit via our, uh, our, our culture, our ancestors, etc. You know what I'm saying? So that's the default that, that it imprints itself on us and it, it defines us moving forward as human beings. And unless we sit back and reflect on it conscientiously, right? Our self-reflection, self-reflectivity is a huge component in this existential tradition, the Nawa tradition of philosophy. We've got to sit back and fucking analyze ourselves, our thoughts, our minds, where they come from, et cetera. Not our minds per se, or maybe our minds. Shit, how do I know I'm not a disembodied fucking 
brain floating up in a vat somewhere. Anyways, that's just having the whole experience of reality, you know, simulated for me via this evil deceiver who wants to make me to believe that I'm fucking a 20 or not 20. Come on, guy. Right. 33. Try 33 in a week. Year old fucking Chicano male living on planet Earth in the alleged year 2019. You know what I'm saying? Um, but definitely, you know, what I'm trying to get at is this idea that we come as blank slates and that we can essentially do whatever it is that we want with this earth, with our life rather, not with this earth, right? It's one of the biggest problems and one of the biggest reasons. It's one of the biggest problems that we're facing as late millennials, rather early millennials, late millennials and centennials, right? These fucking people who have destroyed our world that we're living in, but more specifically, the ability to do anything that we want with our lives. You don't have to fucking go through the 12-step brainwash camp that is referred to as, you know, school, these institutional state-sanctioned learning facilities. You know, I mean, maybe you have to because the government will come knock on your parents' door and be like, hey, motherfucker, you either send this kid to school or you pay us the money that we're missing out because they ain't going to school, right? Uh, but once you turn to a certain age, I don't suggest it. In fact, part of my whole philosophy is predicated around the fucking desire to stop these self-defeating patterns and practices of behavior. But you could drop out like it's a possibility. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the same for college. Again, I don't recommend it. I fucking recommend sternly and adamantly that you graduate from college with at least a fucking bachelor's degree. You know what I'm saying? But um, that that whole, you know, that whole system to go to school, go to college, graduate college, get a job, get married, buy a house, fucking have some kids. You know what I'm saying? Die at 50 from a heart attack, all that kind of shit. That's just one way to live life. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just the one that we inherited. And that is what dictates for the most part, for those of us that don't reflect conscientiously on it, the, the overall trajectory of our lives, right? But just because that's the way that things have been, at least here in America, for the last X amount of years, doesn't mean that's the way that they always have to be forever. You know what I'm saying? It's a matter of contingency. Contingency here being a, a, another important feature in philosophy. Uh, in this, not, I'm gonna say now what? Because fuck, saying existential tradition of philosophy. In this now what's tradition of philosophy, right? Um, this contingency, essentially, the way it works is the understanding that it's basically the flip of a coin. And because things are the way they are right now, there's no inherent meaning or purpose or reason behind it. There's nothing grounding it other than ultimately, if we trace it back far enough, force like the force of the coercion that comes with you being either comply or die type shit, either listen to what we say or we'll fucking put you in a box or we'll shoot you in the fucking face, right? That's basically the only thing that grounds us here in the fucking 21st century United States of America for sure, but also around the world, I'm sure, right? Um, and, you know, but just because it's like that, it could have been a complete opposite way. The example that I used to always, well, still like to give is imagine if the fucking... Uh, indigenous communities around the uh, the Mexica did not band together to help the Spaniards overthrow them and that the Mexica fucking conquered the Spaniards and went on to continue their great ascension towards, you know, fucking greatness. Uh, we may very well be living still under this fucking, uh, to this day, under a Nahuatl Aztec fucking uh, uh, world. You know what I mean? And everything that they valued, everything they believed, the language they spoke, all that kind of shit. That would, that would be us right here, right now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's also equally true that the fucking uh, Spanish would have never repelled the Muslim invasion that colonized them for 500 years. And that we here, let's say that instead of sending, you know, uh, maybe that instead of fucking dick face Christopher Columbus coming to Turtle Island, it would have been a Muslim 
person. And that because of that, most of the people here on this continent, instead of being Christians, would be Muslims and they'd be speaking Arabic and all that. It, that's equally possible as well. There's nothing set in stone. It's all a matter of contingency. You know what I'm saying? So the good news about that is that just because things are one way doesn't mean they have to be that way. They can be fucking any way. It's just a matter of whether we personally have the ability, but I would venture to say perhaps even more correctly, the fucking courage to be able, and even more, more, more correctly, the strength to be able to do something different. It's very not fucking, it's frowned upon, right? Uh, the ability to do something different. In fact, not only is it frowned upon collectively as a society, but this is, I guess, to have some sort of little familiarity between the last podcast. I ended it by saying I was going to talk about the fucking zebra example. Look at that. It emerged organically. We'll talk about it now, and then we'll just go ahead and draw this bitch to an end, right? Because I think that'd be a good enough point to do so. For the longest time, scientists were having a difficult time understanding why an animal, the zebra, that is basically made of food, would be striped in such a way, its coloration would be in such a way that is seemingly against its self-interest. That self-interest here, of course, being that of survival. Why? Because unlike the lions specifically that hunt zebras, those motherfuckers, the zebras, they don't blend in necessarily with the African savanna. You look at a fucking lion and you look at the African savanna and you're like, well, they basically the same color. They could fucking blend in perfectly. In fact, you would be remiss if you fucking were to believe that you'd be able to spot a lion in the savanna in the bush. It's fucking impossible. There's the, the reason why they're apex predators. You know what I'm saying? So then why is it that an animal that gets hunted by those lions doesn't fucking share a similar coloration pattern? Why wouldn't zebras be the fucking color of lions, essentially, right? It would seem in their self-interest survival necessary for them to be able to do so. So these scientists developed this, they decided to go down there and try to figure out why exactly zebras had the coloration pattern that they do. And as all scientists do, they did so by tagging and marking specific zebras so they could keep track and record data on them. Yes. However, the scientists in their efforts to try to discover the reasoning behind their coloration pattern kept encountering this one annoying fucking tendency that the zebra that they kept marking had. And that was every time they would fucking chip the zebra on the ear, it would get jacked by a motherfucking lion. And for the longest time, the scientists couldn't figure it out. They were like, what the fuck, dude? What rotten luck that every time we tag a zebra, that one zebra gets attacked by a lion. And they were trying to figure it out until finally they realized, oh, shit. Maybe the fact that we're marking these zebras, maybe the fact that we are tagging these zebras, Maybe that has a lot to do with why those specific zebras get jacked. And from here, it goes off to not necessarily a complete different point, but it's still intimately related. And that is the physiognomy, if you will, of the eyeballs of these two specific animals. I go like this specifically when it comes to zebras. But for those of us who have cats, mine was just on my lap right now. Maybe you've seen her at various times throughout the podcast, right? If you ever look at your kitten's eyes or your cat's eyes, besides seeing a fucking dead, lifeless, fucking soulless, evil creature that exists in there. I'm joking for all my cat lovers. I love my cat, right? But let's not fucking kid ourselves and pretend that they realistically give a fuck about us. Mine, at least, all she gives a fuck about is whether I'm going to feed her. And then, and then she tries to trick me 
by being very, you know, affectionate, I'm like, listen here, cat, I know full well what you're doing. You're just trying to hustle me for food, right? And despite, you know, all these actions that are, you know, your little rubbing your head against me and all that kind of shit, I see right through your dead soulless eyes. And I know that if you had the chance, A, you would fucking eat me and B, since you don't, you'd want me to feed you instead. Fucking countless stories, people dropping dead and they're fucking cats, right? I mentioned it before, but every time I mentioned it every time eating them and, you know, people show up two weeks later and they're fucking their relative's face is half missing and the cat's sitting there in the corner all fat belly like, I don't know what the fuck happened, but they stopped feeding me. So I did what I had to do to survive, right? Anyways, you look at your cat's eyes and they're straight up and down, you know? So what they realized is that the reason these prey animals like zebras and goats and all that kind of shit have eyes that go horizontally is because they need to be able to see very close up and objects that are very, you know, that that are off the ground. Because obviously, if you're a prey animal, you're going to run away. And it's in your best interest to see what's immediately in front of you, as well as to be able to judge how high it is that you may potentially need to jump in order to escape predation. Cats, on the other hand, prey animals have the vertical eye, uh, the slits in their eyes, because they can see really good, really far away, right? They can't really see very well in, in, in terms of periphery, but they can see really good, really far away. So it was concluded then that ultimately the reason that the zebras have this striped pattern is because an individual zebra on its own is dead fucking, it's, it's, it's dead as fried chicken, bro. But when they are in the herd, when they are in a giant mess of zebras, a cluster of zebras, one individual zebra is essentially rendered invisible because the cat's eyes, the lion's eyes are in such a way where the coloration pattern of the zebra meshes in with all the other zebras and it creates this giant invisibility cloak a la Harry Potter of sorts. Yes. So that now the only way a lion can pinpoint an individual zebra is if it moves, right? So when they do charge the herd and one particular one moves, that's when they focus in on the one that they want, usually the, you know, the oldest or the weakest, the youngest one. You know what I'm saying? Now, to be fair, I read another follow-up article that said that this particular uh, finding is up for questioning, but you know, good. That's what science is. You continue to question that shit until you find out the real answer, right? But for our purposes, you may be asking yourself, okay, dickface, what does this have to do with existential philosophy? everything. It has everything to do with existential philosophy, man, because essentially what it's arguing is that most of us, we are zebras. We are the zebras, right? We are chimps. We we fucking evolved. I was going to say devolved, which eh, that's up to a matter of interpretation, right? A uh, matter of personal preference, I should say. But we fucking come from higher, high, from higher apes, right? From chimps. And chimps themselves, again, they organize themselves in hierarchies and they have families and clusters that they're always hanging around in. You know what I'm saying? And we are no different. And furthermore, we personally, if this existential philosophy is not what philosophy is correct, we seek validation from the herd. We want to be a part of the herd. Very few of us will ever do anything that differentiates us radically from the herd. Even people like myself, man, I, I am under no pretense that I'm something of an individual. I'm not. I might look a little different, you know, not, I'm not even speaking phenotypically anymore, but I'm speaking, maybe I look a little bit different than the conventional styles of, you know, that are current, of fashion, for instance, that are currently, you know, that are currently in place. I might look a little different, you know, in terms of, I might act a little bit different in terms of, you know, what my beliefs are and all that kind of shit. But by and large, 
I'm fucking pretty much basic and boring and average like everybody else. Why? Because even those of us who consider ourselves to be the fringest of people, we still do everyday shit like fucking get married, have kids, stay in long-term monogamous relationships, right? Uh, work nine to five jobs, not, maybe out of, mostly out of necessity, but also out of desire to do so. Very few of us actually do shit that's just radically different. You know what I'm saying? And as we're going to examine as these lecture series progresses again, we're going to pick it up with Kierkegaard or rather with Nietzsche, but Nietzsche, but we're also going to go through other philosophers like Kierkegaard and them in company. You know what I'm saying? And we're going to examine all the reasons why it is that we as people do that. Now to revert it back to another previous podcast that we've talked about, a prime example of this, of course, would be the allegory of the cave. I didn't finish the second component of it, which I will again one day. Right. But the second component of it is when we come back, right? Right. When we come back, we leave the out, we leave the cave, we come back down and we're trying to fucking tell other people like, yo, this is all a lie. It's not real. You know what I'm saying? And those people will look at us like, man, what the fuck this guy is crazy. So I don't want to go up there, come back looking like this motherfucker, all crazy and shit. You know, um, the same is true when it comes to the herd mentality. Even those of us who try to be, you know, proclaimed as different as we potentially like to imagine ourselves, there's safety in the herd and there's safety in the herd. And those of us that do, those of us that do challenge the status quo, those of us that do challenge the norm, we face very serious repercussions because any one person, and this is, again, this is meant to be an introduction, but as we progress a little bit deeper into the philosophy, we're going to see different reasons why, but one individual person <clears throat> that doesn't uphold this mirror, if you will, to use the Kierkegaardian language, serves as a negation to the status quo. And in these negations to the status quo, what happens is you make other people aware of the fact that they're fucking living this life of inauthenticity and they don't want to be cognizant of that fact because, again, just summating various uh, ideas from existentialism, they're comfortable with their with their delusions. And the reason they're comfortable with their delusions is because the second you bring to light the reality of existence, it makes them have to fucking question things about the nature of reality that most people, most quote unquote normal people who haven't been afflicted with the existential sickness don't want to talk about like what happens before life? What happens after death? Does God really exist? Do I have free will? Why should I be moral if I don't? All that kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? And that's just from a philosophical perspective, bro. You can add into the admixture there fucking, you know, past traumas, current traumas, current patterns of behavior that don't do anything more than, you know, fucking bring unhappiness en mas, right? And not en mas as in espanol, but like en mas, like a lot. You know what I'm saying? But also en mas if you want to do the whole English thing where a lot of unhappiness in mass, that's it, right? <sighs> I've just disgusted myself. Anyways, um, the point that I'm trying to get to again, and you know, to tie it in with the now what philosophy is in the absence of a face, in the absence of a heart, we just subsume those which have been given to us by society. But you know, if we keep giving our hearts to all these fucking, you know, negative forces, you know, one day I'll give my hearts to Catholic uh, Catholicism, for instance, but then Catholicism will run dry and I'll give my heart to Protestant religion. And then that'll run dry and I'll give my heart to atheism and then that'll run dry and I'll give my heart instead to American patriotism, all sorts of different fucking institutions that have their vested interest in claiming my identity and my life for them. Right. And, you know, me personally, the only interest that I have in it is to because at least they offer some sort of answers to the grand fucking mystery that is life. Right. Nah, not right. It's fucking actually if we're following this Nawa tradition, for sure, it's terribly, terribly fucking wrong. You know what I'm saying? So the question then becomes, do we as individual people have the fucking strength to be able to look those questions dead in the fucking eye? 
and engage with them. This is the whole Nietzsche quote. When you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back into you. That's what the fuck he's talking about, man. Do I, as this fucking speck of dust in the grand cosmic scheme of the existence of the universe, do I have the strength to look that into the face and realize that for all, for all intents and purposes, the universe is hostile to my existence? Do I have the attitudinal, the mental, the emotional, and most importantly, the spiritual strength to be able to overcome such a harsh reality? And the answer is, for most of us, no. We fucking cower in the face of that reality. This is the hallmark of this Nietzschean philosophy when it comes to the concept of God being dead, right? Uh, I know I said I wasn't going to focus on any one particular philosopher, but this bears repeating because I think it's a very important insight. When he says that God is dead, God remains dead and we killed him, that's what the fuck he's talking about, man. What killed God? Science. Science doesn't leave room for the existence of God. And although it was celebrated initially, the reality is that at least when God existed, we had meaning and purpose. And now that God is dead, there is no meaning and purpose. We killed the only meaning and purpose. So we as individuals are left with one or two options, both of which are predicated on nihilism, which is fucking appalling point blank period. I'm telling you straight up, like I'm not a nihilist. I'm a nawat. Okay. Just in case you've ever gotten con confused, especially like the memes that I post, bro, I'm posting those because they're fucking funny. Right. But, uh, the idea that I'm a nihilist, like fuck no dude, like Nietzsche, the idea of nihilism appalls me. Uh, why does it appall Nietzsche? The same reason it appalls me because I don't fucking life may not have any intrinsic purpose and value. But that doesn't mean that I personally believe that my life has any doesn't have any intrinsic purpose or value. In fact, if we're informed by this Nahuatl tradition, I ascended from the heavens for a reason, bro. I, I ascended from the sky to be more specific. I'm a fucking star child, bro. I ascend. I'm the person of the sun. You know what I'm saying? I ascended from the sky for a reason and purpose. And you know that reason and purpose is what drives me for the most part. I fucking have my moments when I relapse and all that kind of shit. But every single day, it's why I'm doing this fucking podcast. You know what I'm saying? Um, the same for Nietzsche. He's like, yo, God is dead. So now we're left with one of two options. You can either accept the fact that God is dead and collapse into fucking nihilism and jeopardize, not jeopardize, but outright fucking lose the one shot that you had at being a sentient, conscious human being. Or you could fucking become so strong, like physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, and most importantly, spiritually, right? Attitudinally as well. Um, and be able to recognize the fact that we have to give our life meaning and purpose and value, that we have the ability to do so, and that it is entirely within us to fucking stare down the abyss and be like, yeah, you know what? Life doesn't matter. But even then, I'm still going to fucking live a life of meaning, purpose, and value. I'm going to devote my life to some overall narrative right now. Ooh. With that one particular part, you could see again how it's been co-opted, just to reiterate, by the Nazis. But again, just to further, further, further qualify it, that's base level shit. In fact, as I mentioned before, bears repeating again, ethno-nationalism, the result of nihilism. And nihilism itself is the fucking hallmark of a slave mentality. Weak people who cannot, do not have the strength, cannot gain the strength to be able to confront the absurdity of existence, right? Now, another element of this weakness is the realization that you're going to probably have to go it alone. Most of us are going to have to go it alone. It's one of the imp impetuses I should mention as to why I wanted to start this podcast, because in many ways, I myself do feel alone. I've always felt alone, right? I'm actually working on a great, uh, well, I think it's great, but you can make up your own mind, uh, series on the book called The Labyrinth of Solitude, right? And it's going to detail the way that solitude, the dialect of solitude specifically, is it's pretty much the default for Mexicans. Uh, and me personally, I feel that shit to my core, bro. I've always felt like I've existed in the solitude and that the only moments that I can ever express myself fully are, you know, in, in parties, if you will. And, you know, there's one other one, but 
I wasn't anticipating to talk about it today, so I can't recall off the top of my memory. But the point here being is that my entire life, I felt myself in a state of solitude, right? And now that I have more of the uh, intellectual language to be able to properly articulate why or understand why, even more importantly, it basically boils down to the fact that A, I've never realistically had much in common with many people in terms of things that we want to talk about, at least not the ones that I grew up with. Let me be very fucking clear because I'm not trying to sound pretentious in any way, shape or form. But the people that I grew up with, not many of them, if any of them, were interested in the same kind of shit that I was. Like, bro, I can give a fuck less about professional sports. I don't give a motherfuck. I watch college football, specifically the Texas Longhorns, because it realistically is like this last anchor that's holding me down in a lot of ways, not just to the uh, the Western world, but kind of that's keeping me from being fully enmeshed, if you will, enmeshed in these types of ideas at all times. Because as much as I love to engage with these ideas, it does get pretty burdensome and tiresome, right? So sometimes I like to distract myself with a little Texas Longhorns football or a little Chicago Cubs baseball. You know what I'm saying? But aside from that, I mean, most of the people that I grew up with, it's all they wanted to talk about. Still to this day, their entire identity, because they're fucking weak-minded slaves, is built around the fucking Dallas Cowboys, for instance. Man, I can give a fuck less about the Dallas Cowboys let alone the NFL. The people that I grew up with, man, we're already in our fucking 30s. And most of them, you know, when we were still hanging out because I made a conscientious effort to cut all of them off, all of them. Now, to be fair, the argument can also be made that they cut the, they made the fucking conscientious decision to cut me off as well because I'm fucking weird, bro. I don't care about the, and I, I can admit that. You know what I'm saying? I'm weird in the sense that like, you know, we're in our 30s and these people want to talk about how cool it is to be going out, getting lit and getting fucking laid. I'm not saying it's not cool. Fuck yeah, it's fucking fun. But bro, we're in our 30s. We're talking about the same shit we've been talking about since we were in our teens. Like, it was cool then. It's cool now. But you know what else is cool? Time travel. You know what else is cool? Interdimensional beings that may exist. You know what else is cool? Questioning whether or not we are living in a simulation. Fucking talking about what happens before we were born, what talk, what happens about after we die. Talking about our deepest fears, our deepest insecurities, what our past traumas are and what we're doing to try to overcome them. That's fucking awesome. And I don't have, I didn't have those friends. You know what I'm saying? Part of the impetus to join, the, to start doing this podcast was to start, you know, connecting with people outside of my, you know, little town here of El Paso that feel the same way. Like, yo, I feel exactly like you do, Ice, but... I don't fucking have anyone around me either, which if we were living in the Chian times or even prior to the internet, it'd be a fucking devastating reality because who the fuck are we going to connect with? But now that we have the internet, I was like, yo, this, there's this beacon out there, this beacon of fucking people. Not, it's not like the beacon is the, the, the desire to live a more authentic life. Like you see it all social media. People are fucking, they're doing a soul work, bro. There's a lot of people doing some serious soul work out there, right? And the beauty, the beauty of uh, social media is that it's connecting people like myself to this light, the desire, the light here being the desire to engage in this soul work. Not any one particular person. Fuck that cult of personality shit, right? But the desire that we all collectively have to try to manifest a better life and become self-actualized individuals. You know what I'm saying? So no doubt, this particular lecture series is my, you know, my, it's my, it's me putting forth. Man, trying to manifest those same uh, those same vibes, trying to attract that same tribe. You know what I'm saying? Uh, because I didn't I didn't have that people, and still to this day I don't. In fact, my circle of friends it's I have a, like a, a it's pretty cool, right? A, a different circle, it's, it's small, small, but it's different from the people that I grew up with. They don't even fucking live in the same town that I live in. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I'm trying to make new friends with that, that kind of vibe along this same trajectory that I'm on. 
But um, yeah, the reason why I conscientiously made the decision to cut those people off is because, well, as we're going to discuss when we actually get into the nitty gritty of this Kierkegaard and Nietzschean character in further detail, what these people represent is this leveling process of society. What is the leveling process of society? It's exactly as the example of the fucking zebras talks about, man. The desire to conform, it's out of a matter of safety, like survival, obviously. You know what I'm saying? But unlike a zebra, our survival isn't necessarily predicated anymore, anymore, right? We're, we've, we've, we've evolved beyond the need for a tribe, you know, to ensure that we're protected from the nature and the elements. We've concretized the, the, the natural world, you know what I'm saying? So you could be a fucking loner and still go up the street and get some food from, you know, the grocery store and you'll be just fine. Um, but so I'm well, not, but so I should say, so what happens then is, uh, the decisions that we make, it realistically only comes down to the social element, you know, the social element here being, do I really want to be that person that goes off and fucking entertains their own thoughts and ideas, their own fucking questions that like the aforementioned that I have, right? Or am I going to willingly compromise that desire and thus the overall trajectory, possible trajectory of my life just so I can have friends? Am I going to pretend to care about the NFL and the fucking Dallas Cowboys just so I can have friends? Am I gonna pre am I gonna pretend to care about being in my fucking almost mid thirties and caring about how fucking drunk I got and how many fucking you know chicks I hooked up with? Like, nah, dude, I'm fucking that. I'm I've 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 elevated beyond that. I'm not in that mind anymore. I'm not in that state of mind anymore. I'm not in that world anymore. You know what I'm saying? As I've mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, I barely even exist in this fucking Eurocentric world anymore than the coercion of you know force forces me to do you know what i'm saying capitalism bills fucking the law and its various elements you know what i'm saying like i barely still exist in this world and you know i'm making my way more towards another world and you know historically especially right being an individual and isolated it it was not good for people but again we've we've evolved past that we're not there no more we've you know we we could we could survive as individuals but again the question is do you want to because it implies that you're going to probably be pretty fucking lonely you're not going to have a lot of friends because as i mentioned there's not that many that i grew up with you know what i'm saying thankfully again i have the internet here i have those of y'all who've been following along what's up what's good it's nice to meet you i'm glad you're here you know what i'm saying because I, I, ideally, we're probably vibing on the same fucking wave right now. We're all trying to understand like, yo, this idea of what life is and what life can be that we've been told, it's potentially so much greater. And the only fucking way that I'm going to understand and try to uh, perhaps, perhaps even possibly manifest it is if I have the fucking strength to be able to stare down all of the things that are keeping me from doing so. And yeah. With that said, I'm basically at about the hour-long mark now, so I'll go ahead and wrap this shit up. I hope you all enjoyed this podcast. Like I said, right now it's the end of the semester, so I'm really fucking busy with just school at this point. Rather work because I fucking, you know, school is just kind of taking a backseat right now. But yeah, man, fucking school, well, work's been really hectic. And then, you know, just personal, personal life shit as well. It's, you know. So once the semester's over, I'm looking forward to re-engaging. I'm like, I'll get some more podcasts out before the end of the semester for sure, right? In fact, I have a whole week off, at least from DACC for quote unquote Thanksgiving, right? Indigenous People's Appreciation Week. What's up? So that'll give me some time to sit down and engage with this material further. So I'll definitely have more podcasts before the end of the semester, right? But 
after the semester is over, I'm really looking forward to really, really, really engaging with this shit in a way that allow me to be able to share with you even deeper insights and analysis into the ideas of people that have come before us and, you know, figured some shit out. So, yeah, until then, I hope you all have a great rest of your day and I'll see you next time. Peace.